0: Hey, and welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here to join us. We hope that this podcast inspires you to live life both for God and your city. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes. And remember to leave us a five-star rating. Enjoy the message. So we're continuing our message series, Wisdom from the Wilderness, or Wisdom for the Wilderness, depending on what your perspective is today. Whether you're on your way into a storm, you're in a storm, or you're on your way out of a storm, um, we've got some wisdom for you. Some of that comes from life experience. I shared with you last week about the experience Kelly and I had over the span of about four or five years. Uh, Coming out of 2008, the, the housing boom and bust, and we had Chinese drywall. We had some physical challenges because of the Chinese drywall. It was emitting sulfuric acid. So in any kind of our uh, central nervous system, lungs or uh, our, um, eyes, we had, a, we had problems. So there was asthma, um, allergies, uh, even Doctor scott Kelly might have MS. And that all came on very quickly. And as, we, as soon as we found out that about that, we moved out of our house. And it led to a, a prolonged period of challenge, including me wondering if I should be pastoring My church. Not because I didn't want to, not because I felt disqualified. I just felt really complicated and I thought maybe someone less complicated uh, would do a better job. God helped us through that and during that season we reorganized a lot of priorities in our life. A lot of things that that were not sinful but how many of you know when you've been through a battle and God delivers you from that battle you realize there's some things you can travel with and some things that you can travel without. God did that in our life. And so I want to share some of those lessons learned from that experience. But more important than our experience, the Word of God is full of instruction for us as we go through our own personal wildernesses. Last week, we talked about Joseph's life. Next week, we'll be talking about the wilderness that Jesus went through. I'll be bringing a message called Winning in the Wilderness. Yeah, I don't want you to miss that. I want you to bring your friends. This will uh, be a really important message for us. But today we're looking about Israel as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And what lessons, what takeaways there were from that moment. Now as we're talking about the wilderness, we've come up with a definition here for the wilderness. It describes our experience. The wilderness is a, a season of time a season of God's development when his presence uh, seems far and his promise is in doubt have you ever been in a place where you wondered if God even heard your prayers have you ever prayed a prayer and it felt like it was bouncing off the ceiling Have you ever walked into church and felt disqualified and unable to raise your hands in worship? In fact, my guess is probably 90% of us in here have come into a worship service and felt like we couldn't even participate with a clear conscience because our wilderness was so challenging. I want to tell you today, God's presence is here, and his promise is not in doubt as far as he's concerned. God is a constant we are the variable. So here's what I would say. If you're going through a wilderness today, I want you to reach out and take, hand, take uh, the hand of the Lord. He's trustworthy, and he's able to get you through anything that you're facing today. Now, I want you to understand today that perspective is everything. Say that with me. Perspective is everything. I'm a big fan of post-it notes. I like them. Now, they're not everywhere, but I, I have this kind of post-it note like that. Let's see if that guy will hang out with me for a minute. And I also have some post-it notes like this. I think like realtors use these, but I've found that they're real handy for helping me to turn to my scriptures in service with the speed that I need to preach. I already want to preach a long time. It helps me preach a little quicker. But they're pretty neat. They're in, it's an interesting little invention here. And uh, you can write little notes to yourself, put them on the refrigerator, put them on your desk, put them on your, on, put, write a scripture, put it on your mirror in the morning to remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. It's not that big of a deal, though, is it? It's just a little square piece of paper. But perspective is everything. Because if you'll pull it right up close to your face, it's almost all that you can see. It'll almost block out the sun. It will, one eye. You you can block out just about anything, but it's really nothing. Perspective matters. Some of us are going through wildernesses right now. That is the biggest thing that you've ever faced. It feels like your world might be coming to an end. It feels like you might be letting go of particular dreams or hopes or aspirations. You might be wondering what happened to my friends? What happened to my hope? What happened to my energy? What happened to that thought? Let me tell you, it's a wilderness, and it's just a wilderness. Don't let it block out the promises of God. Don't become so fixated on the challenges that you face that you can't see God's plan in the middle of your difficulty. Hold your hand up here. Hold your hand up, and just remind yourself, Perspective is everything. I just want you to put your wilderness in right perspective today. Now, today um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Egyptian bondage that Israel was in. I love talking about the Babylonian captivity. It was a seventy-year period. You can read about it uh, in Jeremiah twenty-nine. It's one of my favorite chapters to read uh, there about it. It's a seventy-year period where God said um, that as a, as the uh, Israelites were going into captivity, he said, now, while you're in captivity, build houses, plant gardens, um, give your children in marriage, get married, have children, be fruitful and multiply. He said, don't shrink back just because you're in the wilderness, just because you're in bondage. In fact, be, be proactive and pray for your city because as a city prospers, you prosper. I love that, cap, that era to see God's faithfulness. The Egyptian bondage is a little more challenging because 70 years, there's there's a grandfather that can see his children uh, be born in slavery and then grow up in freedom. And there's also a grandfather that could be born in freedom, go into bondage, and then die in freedom. There's There's a lifespan. The Egyptian bondage was 430 years. So there were many generations... They never even tasted freedom. And, and, you know, Egypt had been a world power and conquered Israel. And when they first conquered them, took the people. And for the first 30 years, it was a a fairly decent relationship as far as bondage is concerned. They were able to live in Egypt and do commerce in Egypt and have have jobs. And it it was not nearly as heavy as what happened the last 400 years of that. But what happened was in the... uh, at the 30th year, there was a new pharaoh, and the new pharaoh saw that Israel was fruitful, and they multiplied, and they were having more children, and their population was growing. And the pharaoh said, well, clearly, they're not being worked hard enough. So they worked Israel so hard that they thought they wouldn't have time to have children. They, they wouldn't have time to raise them. They, they wouldn't have, have time to be with one another that, in, in, in ways that, that cause you to be able to have babies. And, and they really pressured Um, Israel so heavily and it began this really terrible terrible season a terrible season gone even more terrible and then God began to work and we see that bondage and we see what God did in the middle of all of that you see testaments to what happened during that time you can go and see the pyramids you can see what kind of labor it took in order to produce that that was Israel that was producing that and so in the middle of that, in the middle of all that difficulty, God still had a plan. And in that plan, there were some people who began to rise to the top, people like Jacobed and Miriam, and Moses, and Aaron. In one of the most terrible seasons of this Egyptian bondage, The pharaoh gave a decree to kill so many of the young infants, the babies, to slow down the reproduction, to to lay a heavier bondage on Israel. And so Jochebed gave birth to little baby Moses. They had already given birth to Miriam. Aaron came along in there somewhere. When Jochebed gave birth, they were trying to shield Moses from being wiped out in, in, in a similar to way, way to what happened to little baby Jesus. The same kind of decree that had come down to wipe them out. Well, Jochebed, after having given birth to little baby Moses, you know the story, puts him in a little basket, floats him out into the river, into the bulrush, and then we see the Pharaoh's own daughter finds little baby Moses. Now, I don't even know that his mother floated him out there and he randomly uh, wound up with the Pharaoh's daughter. It seems to me like she knew where the current was going and she saw that the Pharaoh's daughter was out there. It seems to me that maybe Miriam was a lookout on purpose. And so the Pharaoh's daughter scoops up little baby Moses and Miriam, Moses' older sister, comes running back to her mom and said, mom, The Pharaoh's daughter has little baby Moses and I know that she's going to need a nursemaid and so you ought to go and apply for the job. And it's one of the great stories because what ends up happening is right during the middle of a terrible difficulty, uh, Moses' mom, who has her baby taken from her in an act of tyranny, then is hired by the tyrant's daughter and paid to raise her own son. I think it's one of the coolest things that happened in the middle of all of this. And God began preparing a way out of this bondage for Israel to be delivered from Pharaoh. So this was a great miracle. And and we see how that worked out. Moses is raised up, and he's raised up in in, uh, Pharaoh's palace. And uh, by day, he's given Egyptian training, Egyptian math, Egyptian language, Egyptian history, Egyptian etiquette. He, He saw how to deal with the heads of state. He saw some of the most famous people and the most powerful people in the world up close as a child of the king of the greatest empire but by night by day he was getting an Egyptian education but by night he was getting an Israelite a Hebrew education from his mama and his mama would say now little baby Moses I know you're being raised in the pharaoh's house but you and I both know that you're my baby You respect the Pharaoh, and you learn all that you can, but you better remember where you came from. It's a great story. I love it. I'd love to preach that, but I'm sharing it with you because you need to remember that before Israel went into the wilderness, Israel had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. Don't you think if that happened in your family, you would tell your children about it, and your children would tell their children? That's the kind of thing that we mark time by. We talk about the faithfulness of God in the, in the Webb family and the Hall family and the Johnson family and the McCoy family and the Roberts family. There are these moments that have shaped our family that we pass those stories on along. And then Moses grows up and he sees the injustice that's happening to the point that he rises up against an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew man and he fights and he kills the Egyptian and What in Moses' mind, I believe, he thought that he should have become a hero to the Hebrew and to the Israelites. He was actually shunned by his people as being too good and not a part of them. And he was rejected by the Egyptians because he rose up against the Egyptians. So now there's a man with no place. Let me tell you, sometimes you can do the right thing in the wrong way. Sometimes you can respond to an injustice the wrong way, and create bigger problems. Moses created some problems, and so he has to flee from Egypt. He has to flee from his brother, who uh, would become Pharaoh. And he wanders in his own personal wilderness for some time. And then God still continues to work. You know what? God was working. While God was working on Israel, God was also working on Moses. Because while Moses was a deliverer, you know what? He had to grow into those shoes, He had to grow into that calling. He had to to grow into that suit of armor. God had to do some good work on Moses' life. And then eventually, God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to be my spokesman. Now, remember, Moses had been raised in the Pharaoh's home and educated, and and he could speak, and he could walk, and he knew how to carry himself. He knew how to be present without being nervous. He knew how to do all of those things. But now he had a stuttering problem. Now he couldn't. He was afraid to speak to the Pharaoh. He's afraid to speak to anybody. And so Moses said, well, God, why don't you choose my brother Aaron? He's very well-spoken. Use him. And God said, I didn't call Aaron to this job called Aaron to something else. I called you to this job. And so he brings Moses forward and Moses approaches Pharaoh. And what was it that Moses said? He said, let my people go. It's a powerful moment in history that has inspired all kinds of people throughout the ages to stand up and speak for people who need to be spoken for. Moses goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh listens and thinks about it. And then he turns his back on God and then you get all these plagues, the locusts, Uh, you get all kinds of plagues, the frogs. I mean, now, I think Kelly could handle a locust plague, Um, probably could handle a frog plague. Maybe. (laughs) I got the look. But I'll tell you, there's one of my kids not going to have anything to do with the frog plague. The Pharaoh went down through these plagues and the people would respond and then he would get ready to free the people and then he would back off and until eventually the Passover angel came and God did to Pharaoh's son and to the people of Egypt what Egypt had done to God's people and the people were broken and God releases Israel to be free and they go out as free people and then Pharaoh's heart is hardened and when his heart is hardened He said, no, get the chariots. We're going to go get these boys. Again, they chased them down. Now, here's all of Israel. They had been in slavery. They had been in bondage for 430 years. They had seen the miracle working hand of God. They were excited to be free until they saw the chariots come. And when the chariots came, they began to say things like, well, we would be better off in bondage. And let me tell you, that's where a lot of us are today. We find ourselves in a wilderness, and we say, you know what? Things were better for me back then. Listen, don't talk to the Lord like that. Don't second-guess God. Some of you guys are so good at second-guessing everything. Now, I'm going to give you a pass if you second-guess the refs yesterday. I'm just going to give you a straight pass on that. But some of you have 2nd pa- guess how your spouse parks. You know, you'll, you'll second-guess second anybody that's making any decision anywhere. Let me tell you, leaders don't have the privilege, the pleasure of running around second-guessing things. Leaders have to take information and then make decisions. You know, there's a lot of people, they got a lot of second-guessing, but they don't want to make a decision. They get out there, they're second-guessing God. They're second-guessing Moses. They want to turn on Moses. And then what does God do? God delivers them again. Again. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, he did it again. He did it again. And then they find themselves, you know, God parts the water, and we know the story about how, He collapsed the water in on the chariots as they pursued him across the ground, the dry ground of this miracle, this parted water. And God delivers them. They find themselves in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, when they didn't have money, the clothes grew on their children. It grew with them, you know. Now, that's not what's happening in our family. Our family, I, I wore my son's shoes to the office last week. And, uh, Yesterday, I bought him some homecoming shoes, and I'm praying that he'll grow out of those because I really like them. I want to get them, you know? And, and, but they, their clothes were grow, just growing on them. You know what? When they didn't have money for groceries and they didn't have provision, God rained manna from heaven. And manna literally means, what is it? They hadn't seen it before. It's not like they'd go to the grocery store and buy it. God provided for them. Has God ever provided for you in ways that you couldn't even imagine? Has God been faithful? And just think about that for a second because God has provided for us so many times. Yet when we get in the wilderness and things are challenging, then we're like, God, what are you doing? We second guess, God, well, we would have been better off if we had been back here. I wish you had never done this. I wish I had never met that person. I wish I had never gone there. I wish I had never taken that job. I wish I had gotten that diagnosis earlier. Listen, there's all kinds of I wishes. Listen, what we want to do is when we get in the wilderness, we just want to hold on to the hand of God. Because if he's been faithful in the past, don't you know past behavior is the best indicator of future behavior? And God has never failed us, not one time. So I'm guessing he's just going to be faithful in the future. Do you believe that today? If you do, just bless the Lord really quick. Yeah, these guys wandered in the desert, except they didn't really wander. That's what we say. They didn't wander. They weren't curious. It wasn't like they didn't know where to go. It's that they stayed in their self-imposed, second-guessing, their self-imposed wilderness, just getting prepared. You know, they were rebellious to God. They didn't have to be there for 40 years. You know, some of our wilderness are prolonged because we don't hear what it is that God is trying to teach us when we're in those moments. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 95, verse 10. For 40 years, I was angry with them, and I said, they are a people whose hearts turn away from me. Their hearts turn away from me. Their perspective is wrong. They can't see what I'm doing because they're looking at everything else but me. If I could distill this message down just really quickly... I would just say, whatever it is that you're facing right now, make sure you're also facing Jesus. Make sure you're also holding on to his hand because your perspective is the difference, makes the difference. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Now, I believe that this is a conclusion that God made based on their behavior already. They had turned their hearts from God. They had turned away from him. They were pursuing their own thing. Why would a good God send people to hell? Because they turned their hearts away from God. They're pursuing something else. And so God, just like God gave them the wilderness, God will allow people to have a a hell, will allow them to have eternal separation from God. That's their choice. That's our choice. It's what we've chosen. Listen, the moment I saw Kelly, I knew, I knew. I I did not want to ask her out because I knew either she was going to Break my heart and say no, or we were getting married. There wasn't going to be anything else. I, I knew. But you know what? Even though I knew, you know what I needed? I needed her to actually like me back. I needed her to want me back. It couldn't be something where I said, oh, this looks good and that looks good. Let's just put this thing together like a transaction. No, it was a relationship. Our relationship with God is that. He loves us. He wants us. And we have to love him back. And so because the people chose the wilderness, God gave them the wilderness. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Today when you hear his voice, and this is what uh, the writer of the Hebrews, uh, of the book of Hebrews, um, is attributing to the Holy Spirit is saying. He said the Holy Spirit says don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There, your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for forty years. So I was angry with them, and I said, let, And I said, "Their hearts always turn from me; they refuse to do what I tell them." So in my anger, I took an oath: they will never enter my place of rest. I'm, he's saying, "I will give them what they've asked for. I'm just going to give them what they want." I don't know how you got in your wilderness. I'm not saying your wilderness is a result of your sin. Wilderness was not a result of the sin that Israel had committed. Wilderness was a part of their freedom. It was a doorway into freedom. It was a necessary step where God's presence seemed far and his promise seemed in doubt. God, you promised freedom and all we get is this wilderness. Listen, it's a doorway into your promise and For you to leave bondage, you have to walk through a doorway. There are some places that you're going to go that are going to be challenging. But keep your eyes on Jesus, the God that has performed miracles time and time again, the God who delivered you from bondage, the God that freed you from that addiction, the God that healed your body, the God that stitched your family together. If he was faithful in bondage, how much more faithful will he be in the wilderness? So let me give you a few thoughts really quickly. In the wilderness, it's not only um, about getting out, but your perspective determines how you get out of the wilderness, and it also determines what you get out of the wilderness. And here's what I would say. If you're going to be in the wilderness, you might as well come out with an education. You might as well come out with some trust. You might as well come out with some skills. You might as well come out with increased faithfulness and trust in the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, the Bible says, endure hardship as discipline. I want to warn you, when you're going through hardship, be careful about talking down your situation. Now, I'm not asking you to be fake. You know, and somebody says, How you doing? You're sick and you feel terrible. I'm not saying I'm blessed and highly favored. You are blessed and you are highly favored, but you also are sick. And you know what, if you don't say that you're sick, how are you ever gonna come before the elders of the church so they can pray for you? So we're not asking for a dishonest people. We're not asking for a fake people, but we're asking for a faith-filled people so that even when there's a cancer diagnosis, even when we lose people that are so close to us that we love so deeply, we can say, God, you've been faithful on the mountaintop and you'll be faithful in this valley today. So here's my my encouragement for you today. As you go through hardship, face it as discipline. Face it, trust in God. Get up and face it. You don't have to win over everything. You don't have to be victorious over everything. But you got to face it and muscle through it. And the God who saved you is also the God who will keep you. Face hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined by your father, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. You're not a legitimate son. You don't actually have a father. Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father? Now, I'll just be honest. I hated getting disciplined by my dad. I hate it. It was like he never forgot. And, um, you know, it was like there were three levels of getting whooped. Um, Yours might have been worse. I'll tell you, mine felt like the worst of all. There was one, three, and five. And the five was really bad, but it really wasn't much different than the three. The first one stung by the third one I was numb, you know. And I, one, one or two times my dad would say what every dad says. You know, this son, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Just in a different way, dad, because it, it really hurts, you know. it Like see stars and take your breath away. You know the kind of crying you did when you were a kid? You're crying and then you can't breathe. You're like, <laughs> you know, like, doing that stuff. Now, my mom is in North Carolina and I know she's not watching this and I know you're not going to tell her but it never bothered me when I got a spanking from my mom physically, physically, emotionally, yes, because I didn't want to disappoint my mom. But you know what? I mean, it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. Now, I acted like I was getting beat to death. And the reason was I wanted my dad, I wanted her to know she did a good job. (laughs) Because my dad would come home, and if she didn't do a good job, then... It's just a thing, you know. It was just a thing. I hated that stuff. And, you know, then I got to an age where I was too big for a spanking. And uh, then I got to, you know, that happened when I get a spanking. I just turn around and look at him like, is that all you got? Now, on the inside, on the inside, it still hurt just as bad. I was just trying to say, hey, man, I'm too grown for this. But I'll tell you what, he had a way. He had a way of figuring out how to do this thing. You know, one of the worst disciplines I ever got from my dad was one time he didn't even discipline me at all. One time when I had done something and, and it was bad. I mean, what I did was disappointing and I knew, I knew it was, he would never say that I embarrassed the family, but it was an embarrassment to the family, you know, and just disappointing. And my dad just looked at me and, you know, he didn't speak any words, but I just knew that he knew and he knew that I knew and he just put his arm around me and then just walked. And, th- and that was it. It never was spoken again. And that was a f- form of discipline because I just wish he would have just given me a spank and gotten, over, gotten it over with. A good father disciplines his children. A good mother disciplines her children. And let me tell you, when we're in the wilderness, Sometimes we're there because we deserved it. And sometimes we're there because somebody else deserved it. And sometimes we're there just because everything's challenging for everybody. But all of it, regardless, the Bible says, count all hardship like discipline because there's something that we can learn in the wilderness. Hebrews 12 and 10 lets us know one of the reasons why God disciplines us. God develops us because he has plans for us. And the truth is that we're not ready for everything that God has, so he has to develop us for it. He has to process us. He has to work some things out in our life. Hebrews 12 and verse 10 says this, but God disciplines us for our good In order that we may share in his holiness so that we be sanctified is what he's saying. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The Bible says that fools spurn wisdom and spurn or stiff arm or Heisman discipline but the wise receive discipline is life. And if we do, after we've gotten past the sting of the discipline and we get into the future, now that I'm a 49-year-old man, I look back and I say, you know, I'm glad that my parents disciplined me like that. I'm glad that my parents had a curfew for me. I'm glad that my parents cared about the kids that I ran around with. I'm glad that my parents... One of my friends to be at our house. I'm thankful for those things. I'm glad that my parents said that I couldn't date until I got to a certain age. It seemed old fashioned to me, but I'll tell you what, I'm really glad that I had parents that disciplined me. Let me give you three right, uh, things that right perspective in the wilderness can bring us. Three good things, and, and this is where I'll close. Actually, you can go ahead and come to the, to the keys, please. God's discipline brings protection, not reproach. Say that with me. Brings protection, not reproach. Sometimes we think that pain is bad. Pain actually is not bad. It's a gift that God has given to us. Have you noticed I have a pain in my side. I need to go check that out. Imagine if you didn't have a pain, no more toothaches. And then your teeth would just crumble. There's no alarm that says you need to go to the dentist to get that checked out. If you don't go soon enough, then you end up getting a root canal. If you don't get the root canal, I mean, it's a mess. Pain is a blessing. Pain, pain, pain is a signal stating that you need to handle something. Pain is actually a protection that God gives you. God's discipline actually inflicts pain in order to protect something in our life. Think about this. A good coach, a good coach will inflict discipline, enforce discipline on his players. Now, I don't know what all the NIL is going to do to college football. It's interesting to me. It does seem a little bit like we're not just playing for a team. We're also playing for highlight reels. So that maybe we can get picked up by another uh, thing. I don't, I don't know what that does to teams. I don't know what that does to ball games. I do know what blind refs do to ball games, though. <laughs> I, I do understand that. I don't know what in the world happened on that pass interference slash face mask that got taken. We, that we're robbed. That's 14 points. But I digress. (laughs) A good coach, though, will say, don't worry about the refs. Ain't no way we should have been beaten by Tennessee in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) It's a thing, isn't it? I don't know. I think it's funny how Tennessee's smoking cigars today because they won a game for the first time in 15 years. (laughs) That's a funny thing to me. We'll get our stuff back together. We'll see you at the end of the year, you know. And, man, let's tell the truth. I'd rather be an Alabama fan with no wins than be a Tennessee Vol fan (laughs) with all the wins in the world. (laughs) I like it what... I liked what my young friend said. It said, "Deanland Stadium looks like a garbage truck worker convention." <laughs> you know, it's pretty good, pretty good. But a good coach would say, "Pastor, don't even talk about that stuff today," because we got to focus. We got to focus on what it is that causes us to win. That pain is actually protection. Secondly, God's discipline brings, around, brings about purification, not punishment. Purification not punishment. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. I got two rings that I wear. This one, Blake made for me. This is a quarter, and he made this in our garage, and I like wearing it. You know, I wear it pretty much all the time. And in this ring, Kelly gave it to me in 1999. And I wear that all the time, which is the reason I stopped dunking basketballs, because I didn't want to get my finger caught there. No more dunking basketballs for me. You know, a 24 karat gold ring, you can scratch it real easy. Because a 24 karat gold ring is, is pure, it's soft. So the more pure it is, the more tender the metal is. 14 karat is harder because there's more imperfections in it. And to get it, to get, a 14 karat gold ring is 14 parts of 24 parts pure. That's how that measurement works. To get out the imperfections, you have to have a lot of heat. Actually, 1,974 degrees Fahrenheit is what it takes to expose the imperfections in the gold. That's what brings it to the top. Then you can scoop it off. That's what makes it more pure. Pastor, why am I going through the wilderness? Because God is purifying us. He's making us pure. He's sanctifying us. He's making us holy. But, Pastor, I'm a generous person. I'm a good person. I'm a generous person. Yeah, you're a generous person until you get a few extra bills, and then you realize you actually weren't generous. You just had a little bit of extra... You thought you were a kind person until the heat got turned up. And when the heat got turned up and you were running late for a job interview and somebody cut you off and was going slow in traffic and suddenly you started saying and doing things that weren't normal and you go, where did that even come from? Listen, it was in you the whole time. But when the heat got turned up, then it exposed it. See, now anybody can have the heat turned up and have it exposed. There are people being exposed all over the place showing themselves, showing who they really are. But the difference between someone who emerges from the wilderness victorious and someone who wanders in the wilderness for 40 years is that when the heat gets turned up and our imperfections are shown, then what are we going to let God do with the imperfection? It's a time of purification. This is what should be happening every time the Word of God is preached, every time you open up the Bible, every time the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, that you're seeing who you are in comparison to who God is, and you're saying, God, save me from myself. Forgive me for my sins. Lord, take this thing from me. I pray that you would take it and heal it and do your work in my life. It's purification, it's not punishment. And then lastly, the discipline of God, this process that He puts us through in the wilderness, it brings about strength, not stress. Strength, not stress. Now I'm not saying stress does not exist. It does. It's just not the end of the road. It's a pathway to the end of the road. The end of the road is strength. The stress brings about the strength. I mean, think any ball players here today any ball players, just go ahead and raise your hand. Anybody, any gym rats, anybody that likes to go to the gym, go ahead and raise, I know we got some of you guys. Okay, so you know, if you want big muscles, you gotta get bigger weights, right? You gotta go heavier, bigger, more stress. If you wanna run a better mile, you gotta run farther, you gotta run a little faster, you have to breathe heavier, you have to get your heart rate up, you keep doing that, that's what builds strength. You don't just suddenly be strong. It's the stress that brings about the strength. God is not trying to stress you, he's trying to strengthen you. And let me tell you a secret. Now, I'm not as far down the road as everybody is, but I have been on the road for a little bit. And here's what I know, some of the things that stressed me really bad in life, in my relationship with the Lord, in the past, I look back at and I say, why was I even stressed? Why was I stressed? That was nothing. What happened? I got stronger. I got stronger because I endured. And when I endured, that endurance built me. And God built me, he's making me. Listen, every single stress, every single piece of wilderness that you're facing is like a stepping stone to God's promise and his purpose for your life. So here's what I'd say, embrace the stress, embrace the failure, embrace the rejection. embrace the sickness, embrace whatever it is you're facing. I'm not saying confess it or get comfortable with it. I'm saying get down in the middle of it and say, God, I want everything that you want to develop in my life to come true in my life through this pain. God wants to bring about strength in your life. Luke chapter one, verse 80. Go ahead and stand with me, please. Luke said that John grew up and became strong in spirit talking about John the Baptist the forerunner of Jesus says and he listen to this he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel Now here's a problem for a lot of us a lot of us we don't want the wilderness we don't want to grow strong we just want to show up strong we just want to be discovered everybody and their mother is being discovered today There are a lot of messengers with no message you know, there are a lot of people with titles, a lot of people with accolades that have done nothing at all to deserve those. They just showed up and boom. And then when the heat gets turned up, they wilt. They, I mean, they just, they just go away. Listen, there's something about the fire that we should embrace and we should be okay with because it makes who we are in God. John began in the wilderness and then his public ministry came. James chapter one and verse two. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Embrace it, it's okay. And then last, trust God all the way. Say that with me. Trust God all the way. Heard about a little girl. And this little girl went to her daddy. She got it in her mind. She needed a nickel. She said, Daddy, I want a nickel. Now, what dad won't give his kid a nickel? I mean, tell the truth. A lot of us won't even bend over to pick up a nickel. Because we're going to have one that's too far down there to reach. It's down there by some eight-day-old chewing gum. Who knows who touched it? I don't even want to keep up with change. This little girl wanted a nickel. It was nothing for a dad to give a nickel, but he didn't have a nickel. He said, baby, I don't have a nickel, but I got a $20 bill. Why don't you take this 20? She said, no, daddy, I want a nickel. She didn't even understand the value of the 20. She didn't understand it was 400 nickels. She wanted one nickel. It just didn't work. didn't Didn't compute because she her perspective was wrong. She didn't have to ever work for twenty dollars. She, she just received. She didn't. We don't know what God's gone through. We have never had to give up a son for other people like that. We we haven't had to go through the process of having a creation that turned its back on us. We don't have an idea of what price God has paid. And here we are going, this is my dream. This is what I want. We're looking at God like a cosmic vending machine. You know, we pay a little tithe. We pay a little offering. And then God's supposed to hop to it and give us things. And we're saying, but I want a nickel. And God's saying, baby, I got so much better for you. I got a lot better for you. And we're so fixated on the nickel. You're wilderness right now. You've got your eye on something. Relax just a little bit. Just relax a little bit. Open up your mind. Open up your heart. Open up your hand. Say, God, this is what I've always wanted. But if you have something better, I want to trust you. I want to trust. Does anybody say, Pastor, I feel you right now. There are some things that I've been after. And you know what? I may not. I may not have the right perspective. It's good. I believe it's honorable to the Lord. But you know what? I, I, I want to trust God. Listen, some of you are looking for a spouse. And you're saying, God, when, when are you going to send Mr. Wright? When are you going to send Mrs. Wright? And, and, and you know, it may just be that God is saying, when are you going to just give me your heart? And if you'll seek me first, then I'll add these other things to you. If you'll get right with me, then you'll be ready for the other things that you want. It may just be that there's something bigger that God is wanting to do in us. So, you know, I have some dreams for Pathway Church. I have some dreams. They're not small dreams. I love what I'm doing. I love seeing what God is doing. We have some exciting things you won't want to miss next Sunday. Don't miss next Sunday. There are a lot of wonderful things in our future. But you know what? If my plans are not the plans that God has for us. I don't want my plans, right? We want God's plan. We want God's plan. I couldn't believe it when we had to get rid of our house that had the Chinese drywall on it. It was our dream house. We had flipped houses, flipped houses, flipped houses, rolled everything into the house. It was everything we could want. It was beautiful, beautiful ceilings, beautiful location, great neighborhood. I mean, it was just a dream. I couldn't believe that we got the house at the age that we got it. And then it was, the plan got wrecked and I had nothing to do with it. But you know what? If I had the opportunity to go back and do everything like it happened, there is no way in the world I would have even tried to talk God into letting me keep that house. My perspective was so small. And let me tell you, we have a great God and he's here in this house today. How many of you believe that today? Amen. 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 Hey, at all of our campuses, you say, Pastor, you're talking to me today. You're talking to me and I'm just reaching out. I want God's plan and I just want to be faithful in the wilderness. I want to get everything that God has for me while I'm in the wilderness. I'm not going to be here forever and I don't want to regret taking not taking advantage of my time here. You want to get everything God has for you. Would you just slip up your hand just right where you are? Amen. God bless you guys. So good. So, so good. Do me a favor. Just go ahead and step out. Just come to the altar. I want to pray at all of our camps. You raise your hand. Just go ahead and come down to the altar. And here in just a second, we're going to, we're going to pray. In fact, as they come, would you just put your hands together and just go ahead and bless the Lord. Come on, squeeze right here into the middle. Amen. Hey, right now at our campuses, let's just have our campus pastors just go ahead and let's minister your, to, to your people right now. And let's thank God for what he's doing. Amen. Amen. Oh, man, this is exciting. Honestly, this is exciting to see. Because when you come to the place, you say, I'm, I'm not going to fight for what I want. I want to fight for what God wants in me. Then there is no limit to what God can do. He can do it. He can do it. He's going to do it in you. He's going to do it in me. Amen. Just slip your hands up to the Lord right now. Father, we we come into this place, Lord, maybe with even an unexpected blessing that we didn't know that we were going to be standing at the edge of the wilderness, looking over into the promised land. Lord, thank you that as Israel wandered in the wilderness, you didn't have a time frame for them. You were just waiting for them to get ready. And, and so this is how I pray right now, God, for my brothers and sisters that find themselves in a wilderness today, I pray that you would give them everything that they need, that there would be nothing in their life that keeps them from crossing over into the promised land that you have for them. Father, your promises are true. Lord, we thank you for that today. Father, I have friends here. They need to give their life to Jesus. I have friends here that need to let go of some things. Father, I have some friends here that have bitterness that has held on, just kind of frozen them. Lord, I pray that you would break those bonds. Father, slavery no more, bondage no more, baggage no more, freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom in the house today, God, your work, your good work today. Lord, we love you. We bless you for your abundant grace. And we remind ourselves, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the miracles in the past. Thank you for what you've done in the past. We know that right here in this altar, you're gonna do what you've already done so many times. It's just one more time for you to show up, do your good work in us today, God. Healing and life and freedom in Jesus' name we pray. Hey, why don't you just take a minute and pray. Just keep your hands lifted up to the Lord. And here's what I need you to do. I need you to pray for you. You know how to pray for you. I, I, I can pray in generalities unless the Holy Spirit just gives me a word, but you know how to pray for you. You open up your hearts and your mouth and you go ahead and talk to the Lord right now and you ask him for what it is that you need. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Won't you ask the Lord today what it is that you need? Go ahead and speak to the Lord right now. We hope you've been blessed by this week's podcast. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes and visit pathwaychurch.us slash give. We'll see you next week.